Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Matt Report Podcast, another special exclusive episode from the Pricing WP Podcast uh, on the airwaves today, hosted by none, none other than Keith Devin, uh, interviewing my good friend, James Laws from Saturday Drive. You might know him better from Ninja Forms. And we're going to talk about that g- genesis, the drive, no pun intended, of where he came up with uh, this product in such a busy space and how he has priced his products and services effectively um, to sustain the changes in the market, the, the, to sustain the competition in this market. It's an excellent, excellent conversation. Uh, well, I hope you get something out of it. I hope Keith uh, wants you to get something out of it as well. If you want more of this stuff, you can check out the Pricing WP podcast. And you can also give us a five-star review on the Matt Report, on iTunes, on Google Play, on Spotify, wherever you listen to this podcast. Uh, and MattReport.com slash subscribe to join that mailing list. It's the number one way to stay connected when fun new things are happening. All right, let's get into today's episode. James, welcome to the show. Keith, thanks for having me. The focus of this episode is pricing WordPress plugins. Uh, but first, I'd like to learn a little bit more about you and your business. What's your background? How did you come to be involved in WordPress plugins? Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I kind of stumbled into WordPress, um, probably like most people. Um, you know, I was working for, at the, actually at the time, I was working for a fashion jewelry website. They did like cubic zirconia rings and necklaces and of every stone color. And so part of my job was photographing these rings to make them look really nice and then photoshopping them to to really bring out the brilliance in them. And then I had to get them on a website. And the website system that they had for it was pretty um, difficult to use. So I started dabbling with WordPress to see if I could build out some of the infrastructure for the website there. Uh, so that's kind of how I got started like working inside of WordPress. But at that point, I was really just a designer. So yeah. um, I don't I don't say that with any disrespect, just a designer, meaning I wasn't a programmer. I didn't know a lot about PHP and I, I was minimal knowledge of JavaScript. I was mostly an HTML and CSS guy. How long ago was that? Uh, that was back in 2006. 2007. So it was a long time ago. It's a familiar uh, story, though, isn't it? People yeah. like within the WordPress community is people come from all these kind of diverse backgrounds and they, they find a way in and then they get hooked. Uh, yeah, I think it's absolutely. It's funny. I, my my business partner and I, we he has this kind of running joke when people ask him, uh, you know, what he used to do. And he's like, you know, I studied ancient Roman history, you know, like all developers, <laughs> yeah. uh, because like no developer generally comes from a development background. It's almost always something totally unrelated. And they just find this love for solving problems with code. Yeah. From from there, from from being a designer, finding finding WordPress, what what happened next? Well, uh, so I left the uh, fashion jewelry industry and started working for a regional credit union in our area as a web administrator, um, a job of which for which I was um, completely unqualified for because they wanted all kinds of like they wanted me to manage all their Linux servers and they wanted me to like build all of yeah you know, I mean, I could build a website, but they were getting into much more software side of things in implementing software more than writing it. But even that was a little bit outside of my usual because um, this was like Java stuff on, on web servers and it was a little out of my reach, but I, I, I interview well. And so they <laughs> gave me the job. 
Um, and I ended up doing that for like seven years. And so in that job, I learned how to manage Linux servers. I learned how to uh, kind of run a web infrastructure for a for, you know fairly well-established credit union. And so I built a lot of WordPress sites there and and started dabbling in plugins in that in that space because they needed to solve problems or I needed to solve problems so that I wasn't touching things multiple times so I would automate things and and stuff like that so that that's how I kind of got into building plugins. And then so you were you were at the credit union for for 7 years. Yeah. What happened? How did that come to an end? So the funny thing was um, my CEO was on the board of the local chapter of Junior Achievement. And if you're not familiar with Junior Achievement, it's a nonprofit organization that goes into schools and, and different areas and teaches kids about financial responsibility and entrepreneurism and a great organization. And that sounds cool. They were getting the CEO thought they were getting ripped off on a on a web project. They were basically redoing their whole website infrastructure, and I was doing some freelance work. And he knew I freelanced on the side uh, of my job with them, and so he thought they were getting ripped off. So he asked me to come in and just kind of sit in a meeting with this agency and the staff at Junior Achievement, and just kind of listen and ask questions to determine. Are they being fair or are they ripping off junior achievement? Like, are they dragging their feet? Are they charging for things that are, you know, you know, let's be honest. Some agencies are are great and some agencies are like, hey, if I can pad the numbers a little bit and I know you're a nonprofit who has all these donors giving you money, maybe I can get a little bit more. And it, it turned out that they were uh, ripping them off. And it would happen, not, interestingly, on the area of forms. So if, you, if you've ever built hand-built, hand-coded forms yourself, you know that there's a combination of some CSS and some HTML inputs and things like that. And then the heavy lifting is generally on the processing end. This data comes through the form and you have to do stuff with that data. So you have to build some sort of a controller for the data to say, hey, when you get this data, here's what we want you to do with it. Um, the majority of that controller... Uh, generally works for all of the forms. So most of the forms are just inputs that go to this controller. And if you're building it smart, you build the controller once and you build multiple forms that can feed through that same controller. And they would charge, you know, I don't remember it's been so long now. They would charge this really large number for one form. And for every additional form that they needed, they charged the exact same amount to build the form, which to me Form number two, form number three should be at least steeply discounted because it's mostly just structural. And so I offered my input and I asked some other questions and there were some other areas that seemed a little bit shady and I told them my opinion and I left. And as I was kind of leaving and getting ready to get in my car, the CEO came after me and said, so we fired the agency. Um, we had a, We had a feeling that was the problem and you called out the exact things we were concerned about and mm -hmm. said, would you be willing to take them on as a client uh, and and actually offered to let me do some of that work w during my full-time day job? And I'm like, well, under those conditions, sure, why not? Yeah. <laughs> like, so I took on the job. Um, and uh, that's kind of what transitioned me because in working for them, I wanted to solve the form problem in an automated way. I didn't want to have to, honestly, I didn't want to have to build anything but one form. And once I built that one form, if they wanted new forms, I wanted to give them something that they could just do it themselves. Sure. Now I'm completely green in the WordPress space at this time. So gravity forms already exists. Uh, 
you know, dozens of form builders already exist, but I'm not in the WordPress space. I am just working with WordPress. Uh, And I think that's a big distinction, especially as we start talking about pricing and we start talking about products is a lot of times we're thinking about the WordPress bubble. And honestly, the WordPress bubble is not your customer. In most cases, they are not the customer. They may be, but in most cases, they're not. And if you recognize that, your pricing can be very different uh, as you think through that and you think about even your marketing message. All that being said, we built a solution for them that they could – we could build a form. We could connect it to their events. And then when they wanted to start up a different event that needed a totally different form, they could build it on their own. So we built uh, kind of what I would call Ninja Forms uh, Alpha. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. That's how it all started. I love that. Yeah. So that was that was the product. And I, I built that. Um, we, we built that. Uh, my partner and I built it. It was probably about 2000... 11 early 2011 okay and uh we did we wanted to see if uh, you know once we got it built and people were using it and the the the, you know junior achievement seemed happy with it we thought well i wonder if other people would like this we've never sold a product like this but let's let's give it a shot so we built up threw up a website started selling it i built a quick little like paypal e-commerce kind of thing to kind of start making money with it Uh, and i think we sold it for like nineteen dollars uh, for the whole product, all in, no recurring rev, no recurring uh, <laughs> yeah. forever. <laughs> yeah, you know, one of those uh, very naive and early starter stage things uh, that you know lots of people do. You mentioned that there was at this point already competition in the space and yeah. some and some pretty big players. Like, at what point did you realize that? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. Um, we realized it when, I don't know if you remember this, back in the day, there was a website called WP Candy. Yeah. It was kind of the big WordPress news source at the time, and they were really pushing hard with content, and they wrote a blog post about us. Okay. Um, and I think the article was something like, uh, um, you know, Ninja Forms kicks into the form space or something like that. And uh, <laughs> they wrote this whole article, and one of the comments, one of the top comments was, you, sh- you guys should just quit now. Why would anyone ever buy your product? Anybody who needs a form builder is already bought Gravity Forms. Yeah. Like that one, that was kind of the statement. And I was like, what's Gravity Forms? <laughs> <laughs> so I did a search and I'm like, oh, wow, they've been around. Like they, they kind of have this kind of space uh, in unlock. And then I started, I was like, well, if there's Gravity Forms, what else is there? So I searched WordPress.org and I just kind of searched Google and I was like, oh my gosh, there's a there's a lot of form builders. Like there's there's not just a form builder. There's lots of form builders already in the space. Um, and everyone told us to quit. <laughs> everyone just said, just call call it now. Don't even bother. You're never gonna make it. And I'm, I'm, um, I'm what were you what were you telling yourself at that point? Never mind what everyone else is saying. Like did, did were you looking at this thinking, oh no? Or did it just not phase you? Well, I would be lying if I didn't say like, oh, this is not going to work. Like, this is not going to be easy. If anything that we do is not going to be easy at this point. But I also kind of told myself, well, if there's all these form builders out there and there's this market leader at the time who's making good money at it, that must mean there's a lot of customers out there who are either – willing to pay for our solution and maybe naively if they don't know about any other solutions um, or if we're better than in a different way or we offer something different than other solutions. So in my mind, I felt like a a saturated market was, you know, 
uh, at the very least validation that there were customers. And so we decided to keep at it and said, well, if there's customers, why can't some of those customers be our customers? That makes a lot of sense. I've heard that. I've heard that so many times that when you're doing market research around a new product, if there's no competition, that's actually a really terrible sign. We later launched a product um, where there was no competition. Uh, it was called Ninja Demo. Um, and it was, you know, we were having the problem where we wanted to demo our product, but we hated what all the makeshift kind of solutions we had come up with, which is like everybody's on a, their own, the same WordPress install. So you and I are testing out our product. You make a change to a setting. I make a change to the same setting and one of us doesn't see what we're expecting. And now we think the product's buggy. And so we're like, oh, this doesn't work. So we built this solution that was uh, built on multi-sites. And when you came and signed up to try the demo, it would spin up an, an entire multi-site with all of the plug-in stuff for you. So you could test it kind of sandboxed. And to us, it was a really cool solution and it worked and we had some throttling in there. It, it wasn't without its problems because it was still new. Um, but no, here's the situation. Like everybody had this kind of makeshift demo and the challenge to get them to change from what they were already using into the system that otherwise there was no market for uh, was really difficult sell. It's not that it was an impossible sell, but it was a really, it's an uphill battle to convince people that they needed a product that one, they had a solution and two, they weren't looking anywhere else for a different solution. Like they were content with as mediocre as their solution was. Today, I mean, you you started off and presumably, you know, you had your first first few sales and, and that was great. I mean, today, looking at Ninja Forms, uh, which is, uh, I think you've said, your your flagship product. Yeah. You've got over a million active installs, which is... Yeah, it's phenomenal. crazy. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> um, how, how did you get from... Like, how long did that take to, to realize that, okay, not only are we surviving with this competition, but actually this is going to be a good business. This is going to work out. Well, I think, um, you know, so even on the pricing topic, when we started off with the product, we were, like I said, we were selling at $19 all in and we weren't really seeing much traction. I think by, from the, you know, June of 2011 till December of 2011, um, we had saw maybe a, total of 8,000 in sales or something in that, some or in that category. And it, so it wasn't really moving. It was like pocket change, it, you know, bought me breakfast or lunches, but it didn't really do anything else. And so we decided we wanted to experiment a little bit and, with some distribution models. And so we tried freemium out. So we thought, well, maybe if we're on WordPress.org, people can find us a little easier. They can try the product, uh, and then we can upgrade them to a pro version. So we kind of shifted things around, and in late December of 2011, we launched on the freemium model. And so we did that, and honestly, our sales didn't change. They were about the same. I think we were averaging a high month was like $1,200 a month back in those days, um, which is not – you know, I mean, it's not terrible for if it was a one person, a little extra money. That's pretty good. Like if you are if you're working another job, kind of gives your family a little lift. Um, that can be that can be pretty cool. But there was two of us, and we were both working full time jobs or more, and it just wasn't what we wanted to get out of the product. And so we let that run for an entire year, and our sales our sales were pretty flat at that amount the entire year. But during the year. 
we started, I started looking for a better e-commerce solution because what I was using, I built and it just wasn't robust enough for any kind of tracking and, you know, anything like that. So I was on, uh, at the time, Pippin had just released Easy Digital Downloads, which most people in WordPress know, especially if you sell digital products. And I was on his site and he had all these add-ons, which was common in the e-commerce space. Mm -hmm. Add-ons were all over the place. They weren't anywhere else. They were only in the e-commerce space, really. And I'm adding add-ons to my cart going, oh, well, if a really good uh, system would want to have this and want to have this and, oh, I need this too. And so I'm kind of filling my cart up with all these ideas and it kind of hit me. You know, our customers a lot of times ask for just conditional logic or just multi-page forms or just file uploads. They don't care about any of the other stuff. They just want that thing for their site. I wonder if this could work for the form space. Um, and so as I started to think through that, I went back to my business partner who was already rewriting Ninja Forms for 2.0. And it was he was trying to make it more modular and more extendable. And so I went to him and pitched it to him. And he was like, oh, yeah, we could do that pretty easily. I'm already making extend, you know, really extendable. So I could just unbolt these things and hook in to, to do the same things we're already mm-hmm. doing. So we did that. I think we launched with like five add-ons, like conditional logic, multi-part forms, file uploads, save user progress. Um, there might have been, I don't know if we had a layout and styles at that point or if that came a little bit later, but we had about five add-ons. And in January of 2013, we launched with the freemium add-on model. So all these little bolt-ons to the core Ninja Forms product. And we raised all the prices. So all of the add-ons were $29 or more, depending on how many sites and things like that, were $29 or more individually instead of what was just a $19 product on its own. Um, and so January, we launched it in January. And in January, we did the exact same kind of sales we did every, every <laughs> month before that. Or like, well, I guess that didn't work. But then in February, our sales doubled. Okay. And in March, they doubled again. And it just kept growing. And we we're like, oh, whoa, what's going on here? Like, this is this is crazy. So we started asking around and we started digging in and we started talking to customers. And we found out we just scratched a real major itch for customers. When we looked back, you know, I generally would say it's really great to do market research on the front end. But if you can at least do it on the back end and learn why you were successful or why you failed, at least, you know, that's something. So when we looked back, we went to forums and searched for some of our competitors. And in forums, we realized everybody's customers were asking for just the one thing. Mm-hmm. And so we we did kind of stumbled upon something that worked really well for the space and sales just started to take off. Yeah. Amazing. At which point did you give, well, you started off at $19. Yeah. Then you went freemium. So was, was the freemium, you had a free version and then the pro version, which had a bunch of, it had all the, all the additional features. We didn't sell any kind of bundle. Okay. You literally had to buy them all individually. Oh, so, so you, you never had the freemium, like, free plus pro? We did free pro for all of Dece- all of 2012, which had yeah. all the features. Then when we launched in the add-on model, we took pro and we basically fractured yeah. it into five different things. Got it. And we didn't even have bundles at that time. So if you wanted to buy all five things, you were spending five times the amount of what you were spending before. Yeah. So we raised yeah. that essentially raised our... our price by five times uh and uh i think uh i think there's there's two two factors at play here right 
one, pricing your product too low can be just as detrimental as pricing it too high. And two, uh, you can experiment with your pricing model, not just your price, and find a, a niche in the market that's underserved that you didn't even realize existed. So there's some there's a lot of experimentation that can happen there. Yes, because even though you were essentially going to be offering the same product, like all those features were available in the original Pro version or could have been available in the Pro version. That's right. So exactly the same features, but just sliced up yeah. in a different way and served up differently. Yeah, we just fractured them into five different things yeah. and, and sold them only individually. And we had let plenty of people who came in and started buying all of them and add them all to their cart and just purchase them all. So uh, it's kind of kind of weird how that happened. But then we also had lots of people that would just buy the one or two things. Why do you think customers found that more appealing? You know, I think there is this, um, I I mean, I'm not completely certain. In in some of the conversations that I had, what it feels like is there is this um, cognitive leap that people need to, that people make when they buy a product, that if a product has too too many features, they immediately assume it's too complicated for them to use and implement for their use case. But when you can pare things down to just the thing that they want, that's the thing that they think they need. Um, providing you can make it make them aware that you have the thing that they need, which is a different challenge altogether. Um, you kind of you kind of remove the cognitive barrier of of uh, this is too complicated. I'm going to look for something else. So I think in some ways we were a simpler solution because you could just buy the add-on. Yeah. So how did you set the the price for those add-ons? Well, so there's a combination of a lot of different things that we're that we do as we're going through the process of of setting prices. Um, when I think about setting prices, uh, I kind of have like four different layers that we go through. So first of all, we're listening to the market. So we're looking kind of at the market. Uh, in this case, there's lots of form builders out there, and there were lots of competitors. So we could look at our competition, see how they were pricing things, see how which competitors were successful with the pricing models that they had, which ones were not successful based on their pricing models. The other thing is listen to our product and, and kind of thinking through, like, how much did it actually cost us to kind of build this thing, and how much does it cost us to support this thing, and... And, you know, what price point makes sense for even having a sustainable business? Uh, the other side is a little bit of gut, right? There is mm-hmm. there's just no way of getting around it. Sometimes you just kind of go with your gut. So uh, by doing it the way we did it, we were setting ourselves to be more expensive than every other form builder. And there was a – and my gut just said we needed to go for it and give it a shot. So, you know, when you buy those five add-ons – and at five add-ons, it didn't feel too bad. But when we got to, you know, 30 to 40 add-ons, all of a sudden that got really ugly because <laughs> you could be yeah. spending like three to $4,000 just to buy all of these features. And that didn't, obviously, at some point you can can actually scare people away because of how dramatic of a, of a shift that is as they start adding all these things into their cart. Mm-hmm. And then so as you start doing it, the next step is listening to your customers, especially if you don't have any customers yet. First, you have to kind of experiment, get something out there based on maybe based on what you think the value is and maybe based on how much it costs the product and maybe what your competitors are doing. But once you have all those things in place, then you start listening to your customers, get some feedback, ask some questions, and then you get to actually experiment with price points and, and evaluate. If I bundle things, is that better? Uh, does that make the price more palatable? If I... 
Um, you know, can I increase the price? Is per C? Is it per site? Is it like all of these different mm-hmm. different like ways of thinking about it? And you just start to experiment. So I think initially we we kind of looked at the space, looked at the average pricing, and um, in one in some ways I think gravity they're their low tier, their their first tier was like $39 or something like mm-hmm. that. And so we thought that's a good baseline for our individual add-ons, <laughs> the same price as, uh, as Gravity yep. Forms. And so we started there and then started listening. And then some, so certain products that add more value, talking about, you know, value-based pricing, we started saying, okay, well, if you're collecting money with the product and it's helping you collect money, that's probably a little more valuable to you. So we'd price those a little bit higher and we would experiment. Um, as we added more features, sometimes we would increase price a little bit because we recognize that maybe our our integration might be more robust than anything else that you can get in the space. Um, so there's a lot of those factors that came into it when we set our initial pricing. Yeah, I was thinking about like how value based pricing can work in the product space, and it, it kind of did dawn on me that it, it's it's difficult because, especially with a lot of competitors already in the space. If your customers are aware of the of the competition, the, <laughs> their expectations are anchored by their prices. They so can be, if, yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. If you're if you can't purely value price because it doesn't it might not matter if you know this particular feature adds X amount of value to, to the end user's business, because if the guy down the road is selling it for uh, you know, ten dollars. It's going to be difficult to sell it for ten thousand uh, dollars. So it's it's true, but there there's the there is the kind of reverse of that, right? Um, if your customers have anchored the price and you try to undercut and go too cheap, which first of all mm-hmm. is a terrible differentiator, right? You can't really. That's not going to really help you tell your story. But beyond that, um, there is something to be said when customers are evaluating. That same price anchoring can happen if you can't, if you don't stay close to your competitors and you try to go too low. They'll think you're not a viable competitor in the first place. If you're that cheap, then you can't. You obviously can't be as good as these other products. So mm-hmm. that can bite you on both sides. Yeah, absolutely. So today. Describe the the kind of the way you package up Ninja Forms. Has it changed? Has it changed again, or have you have you stuck with the uh, the add-on model? It has changed a little bit. Um, as we got more and more add-ons, we recognized that there was a need for a bundle for everything that was deeply discounted because. Even if you have everything, you're probably not using everything. But if you want that, Mm. like if you're an agency or a freelancer and you want those tools kind of in your toolkit and be able to say, oh, you have this mailing list, I can integrate with that. Or you want this mailing list, I can integrate with that or this payment gateway or whatever this service is. And so as we added more add-ons, we recognized that um, there were people who wanted access to a majority of the tools, but our price was way too outrageous even for an agency um, to to really try to stomach when there were other solutions that were cheaper mm-hmm. all in. So the first thing we did was started with what we called an agency bundle. And it was basically an all-in. We put all of our add-ons in and we added them all up the value of what it would cost to buy all these things individually. And we cut it down to $4.99 and we basically said, you know, 500 bucks all in, you get everything. And as we add new add-ons, you get them. They're just a part of that package. Yep. So that was the first thing we started playing around with. Uh, and then we recognized there were customers 
further down the chain who also would like some, some there's certain things that were always bought together and we could actually increase um, our average purchase per customer by bundling some things together and giving some value there. So then we switched into what is probably a more traditional payment model. So we have some membership packages, if you will, like personal, professional, and agency. Um, while at the same time, if none of those packages and you still just want the one thing, we sell the one thing individually. Okay. So we, what we're trying to do is kind of tap into the market that wants the deal and the bundle and wants the like the more for, uh, an addition, you know, just a single package, but still not, you know, not alienate the user who says, I just need the one thing and that will solve all of my problems. You have other products uh, within the umbrella of Saturday Drive. Yeah. <laughs> have you experimented uh, with with different models and different price points and things with some of those other products? Yeah, we're experimenting with a few things right now, actually. Um, we have a transactional email service called SendWP. Um, it's primarily focused at WordPress. It is a, it is a SaaS. It is a, it's a service that we provide. And it's... Um, so for us, the difference with that one is it's kind of this hybrid WordPress plugin slash SaaS, and it is a monthly payment fee, um, which is a little different in the WordPress plugin space. It's a little I, – I find it harder to do that kind of thing. It's easier with you have, when you have a service attached to it, obviously. But, you know, I know there's all kinds of worries that plugin developers have. Well, if I sell something at monthly, they're going to buy it for a month. They're going to download everything. They're going to cancel their subscription. They're going to wait till next year when the, something they need mm -hmm. something. They're going to buy it for a month. They're going to download it. And so the only way you prevent that is by building services that, that customers can't live without so they can't disconnect. <laughs> like they need that connection. Um, so SendWP is kind of our – dabbling in SaaS because we're not we've never been a SaaS first company uh, up till now but we want to get more into SaaS based services uh, and products so SendWP is one with a monthly mm -hmm. just a flat monthly $9 a month transaction fee and we handle all of your email on your WordPress website um, the other one that's maybe a little more adventurous is Ninja Shop um, it's our e-commerce solution and that we are doing kind of a sliding scale pricing. So it's all in for $9 a month. And then once you reach over $500 in revenue a month, we charge, uh, you know, like, a, I can't remember, 0.09% or something, additional fee on top of your revenue for your revenue. Uh, so as you grow, as your business grows, uh, the cost will grow with you up to $99 and then we cap it mm -hmm. because we're not greedy. Um, <laughs> so we're like, we want to, we, we want to have a theoretical limit where you can say, Oh, my costs now are fixed in this area. Um, but we also don't want to find ourselves in a situation where, uh, and this is the kind of the way I feel this isn't a, this isn't necessarily a slam at anyone, but for instance, I have the all in with EDD for Ninja forms. Yep. Um, and, a product that is, and I only pay four ninety nine, so I pay five hundred dollars a year for this product for literally to run any of my e commerce websites on my mm -hmm. site servers. So it doesn't matter which e commerce. So right now I have four products. I can run them all on EDD. I'm still only paying five hundred dollars a month, uh, five hundred dollars a year, and I'm not. And let's be honest, my my biggest project, you know, is bringing in well over seven figures um, every year, and I think. Uh, I, I, yeah, Pippin, don't charge me more. But my point is, is uh, like <laughs> Pippin could be charging me more. 
Right? Yeah, absolutely. Right? But how do you do that? Because the problem is, is he has people who are using his products that don't necessarily have that same kind of revenue, but need the features. And so he's trying to accommodate that. But by having a fixed price and there's yeah. no variability in it at all, there's no way for him to get more money out of the people who need his services more. Now, that can yeah. be a strategy. Basecamp, in fact, has that as a strategy. They charge $99 for their service, $99 a month, and they never charge any more, no matter how large your company is. And part of their philosophy is um, that means that the people who pay more don't get to dictate how we build the product. We don't feel um, mm-hmm. they don't feel emboldened and we don't feel in kind of submit in, in some kind of subservient role because they pay so much that we have to fix all of their bugs or build in all their features. We just build the product we want. If you don't like it, then don't use it. Right. I love I love how they think about business. These I, I got to say, I've been reading all their stuff lately yeah. and I'm kind of in love with their entire model. But yeah, <laughs> uh, but so there, there's a strategy for capping the price. And so we want to cap the price, but we want to make sure also that we're actually running a sustainable business and mm-hmm. pay, being able to pay our team a good way to maintain that. So those are the struggles. So we're experimenting with it right now and just kind of got it put in place. So um, okay. it may we may not stick with it. I don't know. Have you had any feedback? I mean, have you, has anyone been like, I don't understand this. It doesn't seem right or fair or it's weird. Yeah, here's the problem with feedback. Um, until they put their wallet where their mouth is, feedback isn't worth anything. And so what ended up happening is we got lots of positive feedback. A majority of the feedback was positive. Now, there were some people that are just so used to, um, like, WordPress and I install plugins. And so why should I give you any additional money, even though you are the biggest component of my website and powering mm-hmm. it, right? Um, there's, there's some people who had that feeling and that, they were the, the minority. The majority was like, wow, this is like the fairest pricing model I could have ever thought of. And I mean, I get to start at $9 a month and I'm never going to go above $99 a month. But even then I'd have to be making $10,000 a month uh, in revenue, which is totally worth it. Like that's totally worth the cost to, to run my entire e-commerce store or my membership yeah. site or my whatever. And so everyone was like very positive. Um, the the reality of that though is yeah, with all that feedback, sales are not like booming. So it's not mm-hmm. like people are beating down the door to get into this really fair pricing model. So it's a perfect example where you can get some feedback bias, think you're headed down the right path, and you very well may not be actually scratching the right itch for your market. And I guess pricing, although an important component, is only one. That's right. Components in the success of a, a product and the kind of overall marketing strategy and whether it's going to succeed or fail. That is correct. You mentioned it a little bit earlier about how price affects kind of perceived value. You know, if, if you charged twice as much for Ninja Forms, what do you think would happen? You know, it's a it's a it's an interesting um it's an interesting thought exercise to think through. Um, we have been going through the process of one adding more value, but then also like inching up our pricing. I think as the, as the competitive landscape changes, we have to change with it, and we have to watch that. When we set our bundle pricing, uh, we were the most expensive form builder in the space by far. 
Um, now, that's not as cl- close to being true anymore. Uh, WP Forms, Gravity Forms raised their prices. Uh, mm-hmm. Congratulations to them. That was a while ago. They should have. They probably should have raised them a long time ago. Um, they thought they would get more outcry than they did, and that's why I think mm-hmm. that made them nervous. They found out they didn't get much outcry at all, and so they benefited from that change. WP Forms came into the space, and their pricing is pretty comparable to our pricing. Um Formidable forms as pricing is is comparable. Caldera forms is is dabbled with uh, interesting kind of pricing uh, in the same kind of vein, and so now all of a sudden we we used to kind of wear being the most expensive as a kind of a little bit of a badge of honor, like we were still growing, we were the most expensive, we were helping the ecosystem mature and and charge more for you know and value ourselves a little bit more than than perhaps we have in the past, and now we're just kind of in the fray. <laughs> like we're just right yeah. there. So we have, we are thinking about like, what does it look like to make that jump again and take the next evolution of Ninja Forms? Um, I think doubling the prices might be extreme. Um, mm-hmm. uh, overall, I think there are some places where we could lower prices in some places and raise prices in others. And I think that's actually more interesting to me is shifting the anchors a little bit and seeing how customers uh, adapt to that. Um, so that's, I think, probably a little more interesting to me. Yeah. On this, on the same kind of idea, what's the most expensive plugin you've ever heard of that you've come across? Um, I mean, that really kind of depends, right? Like, as far as plugins that I've experienced, I mean, WooCommerce, if you buy all in, like if you're like, I want everything, mm-hmm. you're going to be spending thousands and thousands of dollars a year. Um, yeah. So that's pretty expensive. Um I, out of all, I mean, that's probably the most expensive that I know because the product, most of the plugins that we have purchased from friends and that we run our sites with, um, yeah. aren't quite nearly there yet. Um, there are lots of products that we, that we purchase for our websites that we would pay a lot more for. Um, so, yeah. I mean, that to, to the market, I would say we are still very much, um, maturing as a market and not and still not properly valuing um, what we bring to the table for your average WordPress website. How's how's that going to change? Is that just going to just happen with time naturally, or does does something need to trigger that change? Well, I think all markets mature. I think uh, so. I mean, WordPress is I would still say is still immature, um, but it is maturing and it's starting to get there. Mm-hmm. I think we think that we can't price products in WordPress the way we price products anywhere else because we think, you know, I think there's this open source kind of um, stigma kind of over the project that thinks certain things are untouchable, but I don't, I don't know that they're as, un- they're as untouchable as people think they are. Um, so I think it will just happen. Some of it will happen in time, but honestly, the WordPress landscape is shifting a little too. too. So, Products that could become fabulously successful, you know, three, four, five years ago are going to struggle becoming successful today. And so Mm -hmm. the types of products that can charge more are changing. And I think that's just a shift as you're seeing, uh, you know, you're seeing it all the time now with hosts are are acquiring more products into their ecosystem because they need to be a one size fits all complete platform uh, when you're when you're dealing with competitors like Shopify and Weebly and Wix and Squarespace and and hosts now that's that's host competitors that's that's who hosts are competing against so all of a sudden there's certain um 
utility features that just are not going to take off like they used to. Things like backups. Um, and yeah. I think even eventually, I think you may see things like SEO may be problematic uh, because hosts are going to want these things as a part of their platform so that they can boast to their customers. We're going to give you Lyft. We're going to give you e-commerce. We're going to give you mm. uh, backups. We're going to give you, you know, management, better management like like ManageWP was, you know, consumed into Go, it was a GoDaddy. GoDaddy um, thank you. Yeah. So like all of these services now. Uh, as plugins, I think it's interesting. For plugins, we used to think that our competition was somebody who who had the same plugin as we had. So forms, it was form builders were my my uh, my uh, competitor. For e-commerce, it was other e-commerce plugins are my competitor. But now mm-hmm. hosts are also your competitors because if hosts have an e-commerce solution that they are pushing all, towards all of their customers, it's already installed, it's already functional, and they've made it easy to onboard people into that system. That's a whole host of customers, literally a whole host of customers that it's going to be really hard to sell to. Um, And the host is not going to be uh, as willing to work with you even in the troubleshooting process. They're just going to be like, you know what, we have something in-house that helps that. So I just think there's some – I'm not saying that's going to always be – that is always the case and every product is that case, but you really have to be mindful of that now. It's going to be super interesting, isn't it, to to see how that turns out because – just lis- listening to you talk there, I just I'm thinking. Well, WordPress is going to be a completely different experience on GoDaddy um, than it is to WP Engine, than it is to Pagely, and like whatever else. If they're all kind of acquiring and and setting up their own kind of WordPress stack, yep. Then what kind of is WordPress then? Because it's going to be <laughs> yeah, it's going to be completely different. Well, that has been the conversation, right, with WordPress and the REST API and. And all of like headless WordPress, right? If you if you if WordPress isn't the admin and it is just the the just the API and the database component, right? Of of WordPress, then right, what is WordPress? You know, yeah. and I think I think there is probably going to be a little bit, at least among the the hosted solutions with like you know, your liquid webs and your GoDaddies and your WP engines. And I think there may be an identity crisis at some point that we have to deal with because they are almost not WordPress. They're almost mm-hmm. forks of WordPress in some ways. I mean, they're not yeah. in the in the traditional sense. They're not like forking the code and maintaining their own code base, but they are bolting on and adding on just like plugins did, only hosts are doing it now, changing the interface, changing the onboarding, changing the whole experience and making it easier. Um, Mm-hmm. Some will stay true because WordPress does have a brand and it has a name, and some people will think we can do it better and we can make it easier, and they're probably not wrong. And so there's it's it's going to be interesting. I think the next yep. I think the next five years are going to be fascinating. Absolutely. So with that in mind, and thinking that some of these um, big functional components of a website, you mentioned like SEO. I guess forms comes into this as well. Sure. Um, Bearing in mind that some of those things may become further and further commoditized and acquired and whatever yeah. else, is is the right strategy to to look for if if you think you can't compete with with that is the right <laughs> is the right strategy to look for niche products to serve very very small markets but serve like a particular solution very well. I think niche markets are a great place to to start a business and own a space and Mm. be the solution for that niche, especially um, 
niches who have kind of a self-identifying community, you know, like they all talk to each other and they all communicate to each other and they all share secrets with each other to run their businesses better. When you can find a niche like that and, and kind of slip in and become the solution, that starts to kind of, you know, build your kind of share in that space. And if you can own that share, even cooler is when that niche is also adjacent and touches another niche that makes it easy mm-hmm. for you to start to now expand and pivot into. And I think that's the way to grow. Uh, I think that's a, maybe not the way to grow, but it's a very healthy way to grow. And it's definitely strategic. It's it's saying, hey, these people all talk to each other and they communicate. That means you win one, you win an influencer in that space and you can win the whole space. And once you have that space, they also talk to, you know, I don't, I can't think of a really great example example off the top of my head, but you think like people who are into podcasting, you know, they also talk to people who are into like just audio engineering or whatever the case may be. So now you just kind of, you bring those people in, your circle starts to expand a little bit and you just keep doing that. And after a while you might find yourself, even though the competitors have been, you know, seemingly untouchable, I think that's a way to kind of get your foot in the door and even, even where there's a stronghold, but you have to start small and build from there. So bringing it back to pricing, if you were developing a niche product, does do the pricing rules change? Because obviously, if you're not if you're not aiming for a million active installs, you're maybe aiming for four hundred, or you know that's kind of going to be the market you're going to hit. Right. Presumably, you have to price it slightly differently. Yeah, I think it definitely enters into it. I think you have to think about what is your ultimate goals, um, and and also you have to remember that pricing isn't terminal. I think we think it is, but it's not. Hmm. You can change your pricing. Products change their pricing all the time, and customers are kind of used to the fact that pricing's, price does change over time. And so I would say your strategy for the first you know, kickoff and your starting point, your pricing is not going to be the same once you have established a little bit of a foothold, and it's not going to be the same as you start to bridge into another market. Your pricing is always going to evolve and change as the market that you hold and the markets that you are targeting change, uh, or at least they can be, and that can be a part of your strategy. Um, I generally like the idea of, you know, proving that I can be in this in, in a similar price range as competitors and offer more value. Mm-hmm. So if I can if I can step into that. That's usually a good, healthy place. And then it gives me the ability to start increasing my pricing uh, from there because they can see that I add value. And and so maybe it's an introductory pricing offer of a similar price, but I offer so much more value that you want in right away. And then yep. I can do that. So I think you should always experiment with those uh, those stories and how you, um, how you kind of uh, address and come into a new space. Absolutely. That, that's a kind of really nice segue into one of my last questions is what advice would you give to an aspiring plugin developer or even a young James Laws? <laughs> um, build relationships. Um, one, of the, one of the pivot points for Ninja Forms was a relationship that we built with Pippin. Um, and it was a simple relationship. We weren't best of friends. We just, oh, we were acquaintances and we became closer friends through the process. But when we built out Ninja Forms and we built out this add-on model, we sent out a tweet and because we had already somewhat established a connection with Pippin, we sent out a tweet and said, hey, uh, we're thinking about opening up a marketplace for Ninja Forms. Would anybody be willing to build or would like to build an add-on for it? Let's let's talk. And 
Pippin reached out immediately and said, yeah, I'd like to do a MailChimp one. And so we said, all right, let's have you talk. So I, I connected him to my partner. They talked for an hour and a half. And then an hour later, Pippin's like, here you go. Here's your add-on. <laughs> and uh, so he built one. We started selling it. And he wrote a review. He talked us up. He was very kind to us. Um, I think we were aligned in like what we were both trying to build as companies. And we were... He was definitely further along than us in that process, but uh, he kind of that building that kind of community and collaboration with others is immensely useful. You can learn so much by having those relationships. So build the relationships, relationships with your customers, relationships with influencers, relationships with peers, all of it will help you grow so fast. James, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today, for sharing your knowledge and your stories uh, with our listeners. One final question, where can people connect with you and find out more about what you do? I think the best place to connect with me is on Twitter, and you can connect me uh, connect with me there at James Laws, uh, L-A-W-S. Awesome. James, once again, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much. <laughs> 